and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Again, I keep saying it, but I'm really excited for this one. It's with Shitra Stern, who is the founder of Martinhal Resorts alongside her husband, Roman. I've had the pleasure to get to know Shitra over the last couple of weeks since I've moved to Lisbon. I got to visit many of their beautiful properties, which include in Cascai, in Sagres, in Quinta de Laga, and in Lisbon. They're a five-star family resort portfolio, and they truly are beautiful. Shitra herself has had a number of awards in the business world, being the London Business School Person of the Year, an accomplished entrepreneur award at Deloitte, and many, many others. You can find Shitra at Shitra Stern on LinkedIn, find her on her TEDx talk, really has an incredible background in the entrepreneurial world. The podcast touched on many interesting points about how Shitra and her husband started Martin Hall Resorts, as well as plans for the future, which include her move into real estate projects, such as the Education Hub Project in Lisbon, between the Park of Nations and the airport, as well as the United Lisbon International School, which opened this September. I really hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you shared some friends, some colleagues. It always helps if you maybe post it on Twitter, post it on LinkedIn and tag us. Hope you enjoy. Shitra, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Delighted to have you. Thank you very much, Mark. I'm delighted to be on. Brilliant. Listen, I'd love to, to kick it off with just really getting an insight, I suppose, how you entered the beautiful and wonderful world that is hospitality, how you landed yourself in sunny Portugal. Obviously, I'm delighted to have met you now that I'm, I'm down in Lisbon. So yeah, I would love to just you, you know, to open the scene for us. Yeah, so there's a lot of our story on the internet, actually, but I'll, you know, give you some highlights about it. We arrived in Portugal in 2001, my husband and I, Roman and I arrived here in 2001 for business opportunity to give you sort of the executive summary of it. And we started our business in real estate and hotels in the Algarve in late 2001. So it's a fantastic location. As you well know, <laughs> Portugal doesn't only have great climate and it has wonderful people who are welcoming and very genuine and it's an open, tolerant, liberal society. So we, we found an amazing corner on continental Europe, which is pretty much undiscovered by the rest of Europe. So we found it exciting and that's how we ended up in Portugal in 2001. It's the, the most undiscovered part in terms of tourism compared to the south of Spain, south of France, south of Italy. We found that the Algarve was little known and we thought, wow, that's amazing. And all the European Union infrastructure funds were kicking in and being rolled out. Highways were being built. Airports were doubling in capacity and airlift was improving for Faro Airport. And we felt that there was a lot more that was going to happen after the highways were going to be completed, etc. So I think in terms of the macro view, it was looking good in the south of Portugal, which is the part we knew best at the time. And uh, we felt we'd arrived in the California of Europe back in 2001. So so that's just to give you some highlights, but you can find out more about me on my TEDx talk online. So there you go. Super. And I'm really excited. Obviously, this Friday, I head to Martin Hall Resorts in Kashkai. I'm very much looking forward to it. For the hoteliers, which is most of the audience who are listening now, um, GMs, some more junior people who aspire to get to that level. I think it'd be really interesting for them to hear the kind of ideation process for Martin Hall Resorts, where you located them, how you actually just started, because they're such beautiful properties. But what did day one look like and, and what pushed you into starting a, a family resort, a five-star family resort? 
Yeah, so what is interesting about Roman and myself is that neither of us comes from a hotel background. And we came here, we're both MBAs. Roman is Swiss from Zurich. I'm originally from Singapore, so we're from different parts of the world. We had the privilege of knowing the great tourist destinations around Singapore and Switzerland. I'm a chartered accountant by training as well, undergraduate in electronic engineering. So Roman and I saw the world uh, of hotels with a very different perspective. And we were investing in a piece of real estate, had a future as a resort in the middle of a natural park uh, at the western end of the Algarve. And we had to find a good future for this resort. And what we'd learned in business school was you have to differentiate. <laughs> well, you can either, you know, if you look at Porter's strategy, you either go for cost differentiation or you go for the other end of being a unique product in a niche. So we said, well, there's 35 golf courses either in existence or in planning in the Algarve. There are several five-star hotels in existence or in planning, actually more in the planning stage at that time. And so we really looked into detail as to what we would create at Martignal. And what was interesting about us, we just got married in, in 2000 and we started having children. So the minute we had our first child, we realized we were amazed at how few <laughs> hotels at the five-star end are actually welcome to anyone with children and you become a pariah of society suddenly you know not putting any hotels down it's normal I mean I know Ireland um, come from a very family oriented country and so do I my origins are from India and the same in Portugal but the truth is a community that's staying in a hotel gets bothered by little kids uh, all the places we used to love going as a successful young couple suddenly became sort of out of our reach so that was the original inspiration for us to create a family-friendly resort at the luxury end of the market. And again, we were quite surprised having looked at all these strategies in business school. While you had certain boutique hotels already emerging at that point, you didn't have many at all focused on the high end for the family market. You had the Club Meds and the Swiss Ski Resorts focusing a little bit on the family market, Kinder Hotels in the German-speaking world, but you didn't have such a brand. So I guess it was exciting to be able to kickstart a brand in that space. Now, when it came to the actual execution, obviously it was blood, sweat and tears. We were very confident MBAs, young I was 31 when I arrived here and the worldview looks very different when you don't have children yet and sort of your risk averseness or propensity for risk. So we we felt that we could do anything, I guess, and we kickstarted this project. Obviously, we then had to face several challenges, not just in building out the resort, but also opening a resort with a new brand in the corner of continental Europe. But we got through it all. There was the global financial crisis as well to face. So that's sort of a fast history between 2001 and actually 2013, let's say, before we started expanding the Martignal brand. And with the survival of the global financial crisis, financially, we could prove to the banks that we actually had something special in our hands. And then we negotiated acquisitions in very special locations in Portugal. We really had to handpick and curate our portfolio of this group. It wasn't just any opportunities that were available. So our expansion strategy was about complementary locations to Sagresh. The second one was in Quinta do Lago, which is very well known to the Brits and the Irish. And then the third one was opened in Cascais, which you will see very soon for yourself. 
And the fourth one we opened in Chiado, in the heart of the old town of Lisbon. And the fifth one is in construction right now in Park of Nations or the Expo area, as the Portuguese call it, uh, Park Business Orange. So it all fits together beautifully as a portfolio of a small group of hotels. Amazing. I love the, the blood, sweat and tears. I call it like naive optimism going in thinking everything is possible because it's the only way you would start. I think a, a really interesting question would be the difference between acquiring guests or getting in front of guests. And this is definitely a personal question compared to a, say, just a standard city hotel that doesn't have a niche like you do in Martignal with, with being a family resort. Is it the same? Is it being on the, the family tab of booking.com? Is it talking to tour agents? Like how, how do you initially go, right, this is a new niche. It's a very specific niche. It's a five-star luxury resort for families. How as a hotelier do I get in front of those potential guests? How did that start? And was it a different strategy than if you were just a city center four-star hotel? It's quite different. I mean, we had to build awareness for our destination. I used to call Sagrish an emerging destination in within an, a sort of established destination of the Algarve. Sagrish and the Western Algarve were very undiscovered. Uh, a lot of people knew at that time, they knew Quinto do Lago, they knew Villamura, Albufeira, but that was about it. So we had to really work hard on PR and building awareness for Sagrish itself, actually. And we didn't have the typical critical mass of hotels in the area for our just to jump and say, hey, please get into our portfolio. So we had some challenges in the initial days and we had to actually kickstart with PR and building awareness, inviting journalists to write about us. And the other part of it was really kickstarting awareness on Facebook. We were one of the very first hotels. I mean, whether it was Google AdWords or Facebook in those days, I was willing to experiment and just kickstart it because I didn't have any of these mental barriers that a typical hotelier might have had in those days because I embraced technology and I suppose being an electronic engineer and actually having sent out one of the first emails in 1990 potentially. I still remember it sitting in the lab. So I think there were two definite elements that had to happen prior to tour operators and travel agents engaging with us, which was raising awareness, building a, a reputation on the PR side, as well as engaging with social media, Facebook at that time. Facebook followers were having children. Then much later, we engaged with uh, Instagram because Instagrammers started having kids. So <laughs> Uh, the engagement with tour operators definitely did involve a lot of effort. We had to bring over groups of travel agents and tour operators. And we engaged with different countries as well, not just the UK and Ireland, but the German-speaking world, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, France as well, Holland, the Benelux area. And part of the expansion strategy also had to do with looking after the people who worked for us. Being a one-hit wonder wasn't going to do it for for all. All the staff that we were training up and we hire for attitude, not just for skills and building people up was part of our passion of being in this world. And you need to give people other places to move up the hierarchy, so to speak, although we do consider ourselves to be quite a flat organization. So the startup of people getting to know us and tour operators engaging with us had a lot to do with the quality of service delivered as well. 
right? So gosh, even today, I would say around 50% of our business comes direct and 50% through OTAs, TAs, TOs. And that says a lot for the quality of the excellence of service we deliver. I mean, we don't have a loyalty scheme where people come to spend points in our hotel, but I've bumped into guests who have come for the 16th time to Martignal. And that was back in 2008, eight years open, and they'd been to us twice a year. That says a lot for the loyalty that we have built and the quality of service that we deliver, the excellence, I should say. We have a great team. And if you look at our TripAdvisor reviews, you'll see, I think the most mentioned thing about our group of hotels and resorts is how great the staff are. I know I've talked a lot about, <laughs> but the, you know, it's a whole combination of things. You have to look at it from a holistic perspective. Yeah. How do you get in front of the guest? I mean, we are about hospitality. And then there's also all the quality of the hardware and the investment every year that we've put in to maintain the maintenance program. You know, we do spend a lot on that because every time a guest comes back, not only do we want them to experience a good quality of beds and floors, et cetera, but we've also worked very hard to increase the range. So on new product development, if you'd like to call it that, we work very hard on that. You know, every time people come back, they see, oh, wow, there's this new pump track or, oh gosh, you know, the village square has a couple of extra trampolines and it's a new soft floor. So new product development, maintenance, you know, all this comes into it. The holistic view. Yeah, super. Listen, that was such great insight. And I think you did, you mentioned team obviously a lot. And I suppose the unavoidable topic that is COVID as an owner, probably a friend to many of the staff members. How did you keep morale up for the team during the last couple of months? I think that would be a real great insight to lots of other hoteliers facing the same battle. Sure. So it's a very fine line you have to draw between, you know, friendship and being, you know, tough as an owner and, and the CEO. And every, I think every company has to be built on trust with your team. At the same time, there have to be some rules of engagement. I think really it's a mix of those two to start with. So COVID, <laughs> very interesting times. We in Portugal went into strict lockdown on the 6th of March, if I remember correctly, around that time anyway. And we really had to work hard. Everyone got onto Zoom very quickly. Thankfully, we already did have Zoom because we were a multi-location group and with the CEOs being located in one place and the general director being located in another and the resident manager. So we already had been on Zoom, which was a great thing. So engaging with technology early helps. Okay. And secondly, I think we did have regular Zoom meetings, although it's never enough because, you know, the leaders of the organization had to work very hard on, we had, I think around a hundred versions of business plans and cash flows changing on a daily basis. It was horrendous. So on one hand, you had the leaders of the organization full of stress, engaging with the banks to get our COVID loans in place, engaging with social security, trying to avail of the temporary layoff schemes that the government was was rolling out. And on the other hand, we had to show strength and resolve to the rest of the team that would not have understood what, what was happening. So it was a very, very difficult time, I would say. The mixture of focusing on the stress, not passing on all the stress to your team, because some people just needed their hands held and they needed to feel that it was all going to be okay, but realize as well that the company was going through a very tough time. And the news, I mean, well, what, what can I say? The news was anyway full of 
how badly tourism was suffering. So a huge mix of emotions, but Zoom calls helped. We had a couple of Zoom cocktails, although not the fun kind, I guess, you know, <laughs> we tried to keep in touch. I, I wrote a couple of emails to the whole, we have around 300 permanent employees spread out through the hotels. And also Roman and I focused on a school startup. So the construction was happening and that was thrown into sort of, it was up in the air and we suddenly, another whole set of blood, sweat and tears for another new project. And we have the fifth Martignan is actually in Park of Nations that I mentioned earlier, is a branded hotel residence project. So, you know, real estate sales also slowed down. So a whole host of things we were dealing with, but what can I say? Yes, keeping in touch with the team, sending out realistic, but optimistic messages. Everyone's looking to the leader for help to get through this. I am an optimistic person by nature. I guess as an entrepreneur, you do have to be that. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't even take on a project. And people want to see strength and resolve. So you have to show that you're courageously uh, getting through this and dealing with all of this. And I think it's not just BS. I'm sorry to use that word that, that people are looking for, but facts. And uh, I can proudly say that we worked very well with the leadership team to really make sure that we have a chance of surviving this through the combination of what I spoke about earlier, the COVID loans, the temporary layoff schemes, and while keeping people motivated because hospitality people do not like to sit at home in lockdown. <laughs> I think some people might actually prefer working at home, but hospitality is not such a business. So yeah, and now we're entering winter again. So I call this the long, hard winter because Portugal's hotel business is still quite seasonal. The resort business and being in the family market, you do uh, rely on families being able to travel and having the confidence to travel. So we went through the last winter, which is generally November through to March. And then we faced COVID, still facing COVID. And now we've got another winter to get through. So these are hard times, but you can get through them. You've got to stay in touch with your team. And I, I think what was difficult also was that we were we're not able to travel down to the Algarve to see our teams in the Algarve. Physical presence is still important and is harder to achieve at the moment. Pick up the phone, talk to some of your team members. People appreciate a phone call much more than email sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Listen, I think you even answered the next question, which was uh, some top tips on, on keeping strong through this period. So, so thanks for that. Gigi, before we move into what, which I love is, which is just a couple of questions and quick fire round around the hotel industry and favorite destinations, etc. I did want to touch on the United Lisbon International School, just because when I visited it with yourself and Roman, it really inspired myself, you know, as a young entrepreneur, my sister worked in an international school in Abu Dhabi. So it, it's close to home and I was blown away and inspired leaving the meeting. So could you give us just like a, a quick two minute overview? I know we could probably have another podcast just on that alone, but I, I think people would love to hear about it. And it's just so fascinating. Sure. I worked on the Foreign Direct Investment Task Force that was set up in early 2017. That was my pro bono work for the Portuguese government for three years. I was the foreign entrepreneur on the team to give the foreign perspective to what was happening in Portugal. And one of the things that I brought up early on in the process is that the lack of international schools acts as a barrier to foreign investment because without enough spaces in international schools, you won't get executives 
moving for all the company relocations that we were looking at. You wouldn't get the foreign entrepreneurs moving their scaling businesses to Portugal if there were no international schools for the kids, etc. So this was something we started discussing quite early on in 2017. And uh, we have four children ourselves. And so we knew the international school market quite well. They were in the Algarve in an international school for all those years we lived in the Algarve. And then when we moved, we had to move them to another international school. And obviously people choose the locations based on where the school is, you know, the location to live based on where the school is. So this was a very, very important part for foreign direct investment for Portugal. And what started out as a recognition of the problem, which moved into, okay, let's try to help as entrepreneurs Portugal, you know, Lisbon to start a new school in, in the Lisbon area. It became a real estate opportunity to invest in ourselves when we were presented with a defunct university building in Marvilla. And we took on the project. We were diversifying our interests at that time. Anyway, you heard about my story of the four hotels and then the fifth one being in construction in Park of Nations. And we felt it was time to diversify our real estate interests into commercial and education. So all these things coincided to get us to kickstart a project in education. But it comes back to the question of scale once again, which is what I feel about hotels as well, especially in a seasonal destination. One of the lessons we learned is unless you have a hundred rooms or so, let's say ballpark figure, it's quite difficult to make your PL work, right? And with the school as well, we felt there was a need for a large international school in that area because that area only had a French school, the Lycée Francais, the German school which were German curriculum and French curriculum. And so there was a huge business opportunity and we went for it and we brought in our friends who were experts. We brought consultants in. I mean, the usual thing, it's not just doing it yourself. You have to A, get uh, good consulting advice and B, build a great team. Uh, I think these are the basics in starting up any new business, do the due diligence and build a great team. That's what we did. What we weren't expecting, obviously, was COVID, <laughs> which really made things pretty difficult to look past at the time. In March, we had 40 students enrolled and there was construction works going on, but we pulled through. We focused on marketing. We pushed through on getting the recruitment of the teachers done. There were challenges in getting them here because of travel restrictions. We had around 20 teachers arriving from abroad from all different countries, but we made it and we started on the 14th of September as planned against all odds. And what I can say is here we were again, it was like the global financial crisis opening in 2010, 10 years later in much worse circumstances. But the school project is doing really well. I gave you the figure of 40, which we had at, at the end of March. Today, we've got 150 kids enrolled. There are a lot of many foreigners moving to Portugal, to Lisbon, especially. I mean, you yourself, you find Lisbon an amazing city and that's common amongst a, a lot of other entrepreneurs and people who can work from anywhere, digital nomads. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, we've got 22 different nationalities enrolled in the school and I'm, I'm quite proud of that. Education needs a new way of looking at things. And I remember talking about that with you and we have worked very hard on our maker spaces and our curriculum to teach kids the skills for the future of collaboration, of problem solving, et cetera, as well. And building the education hub around the school has a lot to do with what we want to achieve with our students to teach them the skills for the future. So connecting kids to the real world through the education hub is a big part of what will differentiate the United Lisbon International School from all the others. 
listen it was amazing and congratulations it, it was truly inspiring i was delighted to, to get to visit it thank you Gigi, listen we're going to move into the, the quick fire round it's just a couple of questions you give us your answer it'll be pretty pretty quick responses really i want you to give a bit of love to another brand that is not martin yeah it can be portuguese based it can be from the uk but what is your kind of favorite hotel out there I've stayed in hundreds of hotels around the world. Favorite hotel would be emotionally the Four Seasons in Singapore, which is where we got married and we've stayed in since. Yeah. Amazing. Singapore is on my must visit locations. (laughs) And the next quick question, the bucket list location you've yet to visit, but post COVID, it'll be the first ticket you'd love to book. That's a difficult one. Well, there's so many places on my bucket list. It's ridiculous. But I would have to say it's Machu Picchu if I can make it happen. And we can make it coincide with all the kids' holidays because we love to travel as a family. And we've done some amazing trips together. And I would love to take the whole family. If I can make their schedules fit. You know, one is about to start university already. And the next one is in the middle uh, of her international baccalaureate IB exam. So it's Machu Picchu. Okay, amazing. I'll have to Google it. <laughs> is there is there someone in hospitality that you either look up to, whether you've you've met them, they've had a bit of influence on your life, or is just someone who started a brand that you really admire, preferably in the hospitality space? I think I really have admired the Six Senses brand for quite a long time. And I think it was founded by Sonu Shivasani, obviously, a long time ago. And in this world of differentiated products, I think they have created an amazing brand that represents luxury in that market, in the islands, and for design, and really focuses on the couple market. Once my kids are all grown up, I, I can't wait to travel around the world with the Six Senses brand as empty nesters. You are not the first person to say that on the podcast either. So that is a good answer and clearly a common one. And yes, that just shows how well they're doing. Were they recently acquired? I'm pretty they sure were they were. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they were yeah, yeah, acquired yeah, by the yeah. Intercont- uh, Intercontinental. I also admire the Amman Resorts brand, you know, started off by Adrian Zeka. And we actually went on honeymoon to a couple of the Amman resorts in, in Indonesia. So another fond memory, which I can't wait to get back to. Shows you the the challenges once you start having kids. So Mark, that would be my advice to you. Make the most of it before you have your kids, you know. Shackle is my girlfriend. Shackle is my kid. At the moment, Shackle is is everything. Yeah, it it is. uh, Yeah, I understand. And, you know, I was lucky enough to actually uh, kickstart a project with my husband. We both enjoy, we really love working with each other. That's another common question I get asked. I mean, oh gosh, you know, how is it working with your husband? Uh, We just absolutely love it. And uh, yeah, Mark. Is one of our children for sure. So it's amazing. What a what a beautiful way to sign us off, Shisha. Thank you so much for your time. Really enjoyed it. And listen, hope to it's obviously well, I will see you very soon. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, thank you, Mark.